0: C-I-T-Y
1: That's all we need Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tigers Down Under. I'm your host, Alex, and with me I have Brad this week. How are you, Brad? Good, mate. Yourself? Yes, very good. Very good. Uh, How easy is this, you know? Um, Lots lots of that have happened since I last had you on the show, but takeover completed, two wins on the bounce, transfers rumoured to be imminent, uh, it's all pretty pretty nice being a City supporter at the moment.
0: It is, isn't it? It's a di- different club overnight almost. Well, so it seems anyway.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah, because I haven't got your thoughts yet on the takeover. What, what's, your, uh, what's your overriding emotion about the whole thing now that it's complete?
0: Um, well, I mean, as a critic of the Alums, I'm obviously pretty happy to see the back of them
1: to, to some extent.
0: Um, you're always a little bit nervous about what, a new owner brings as like the real intention. So obviously this guy is very passionate about what I would say he's been sort of a modern day owner and he loves the club and he's involved and all this, whereas the alums seem to I don't know, lose lose the love for the club. And it became more about working behind closed doors. So at least this guy's very outspoken and outward, so we're gonna see the truth. Um, or at least hope, some yeah. of it, yeah. So, um, and, and look, anyone that's prepared to put, you know, serious money into a football club's either a bit crazy or, you know, for the right reasons. And I think he genuinely feels that we're a bigger club. He's probably actually the owner that most of us thought would have come along when we got relegated from the premier league and taken us back up. Yeah. But the, the proof will be in the pudding of the transfers and the financials and how the club looks in. A year or two or three's time, really, because the Allens obviously came in, spent some money, looked like they were going to commit, then turned around and told us to all go and die. And that's where the relationship fell away. So for me, I think he's more fans focused than the Allens obviously were or anyone would have been. But um, yeah, the proof will be in where we sit, not so much on the tables, but financially in a year or two or three.
1: I think that's my big concern as well. I think it's an exciting time to be a City supporter. There's a lot of promises about signings, um, ambitions for promotion, things like that. I think for me, it's just I'm happy to see the ambition. I'm happy to see us going into games, going into seasons with ambition about where we can finish the season. But I don't want to do that at the cost of the club. And you see Derby, for instance, and the troubles that they're in at the moment as a very a very cautionary tale about what can go wrong with overly ambitious owners. Um, As you say, I think, at least for the first year, I think for me, I'm gonna be looking quite closely at the financials as they come out. Um, There's been talk about whether we're now debt-free, what sort of funding Ajoun has behind him, things like that, which, look, if he has the money to do it, brilliant, as you say. you know, the, the old saying of the quickest way or the easiest way to become a millionaire is to be a billionaire and then buy a football club. So um, <laughs> it's going to be a bit crazy to be throwing his money into football. But if he's got it and it's sustainable to at least a reasonable extent, then all power to him. But it's uh, certainly going to be an interesting couple of years to say the least.
0: Yeah, and I think probably that's the point that's a bit hard to know how things might be structured. I mean, if you go back to, you know, right back to the adam pearson days he really built the club with a structure that whilst he was the main man he had the right people in the right spots and it was obviously when when duffin took over and decided everyone's wage bill needs to be fifty thousand plus that we, we we fell in a hole i think you just need someone he can be the eccentric owner who throws money in but someone's got to run the club yeah someone's got to do it with a real mentality that's not you know like the sunderlands of old um, and more about, hey, we don't just spend money on transfers and then say, oh, yeah, well, that's just the way we roll. We actually run it as a business, saying, well, whether we get relegated or promoted, the club shouldn't get overhauled.
1: That's right. That's right. And I'm also interested to see what uh, possible investment there is in the academy, in the training ground, things like that, which um, I think for the sums that we're sort of hearing, and we'll talk a bit about a bit later on about uh, some of the transfer uh-huh. rumors, but. Some of the sums we're hearing about some of the players were being linked to. Uh, I'd love to see some of that money get funneled into the academy, into the training ground, and really start that off-field investment as well. Because we all know, you know, you look at those that 2008 to 2010 era, getting to the Premier League, getting the riches of the Premier League, it all just went out the other the other end to the players. There was very little investment in the in the club itself uh, until the Alums came along, which, you know, we're not necessarily here to speak good about the Alums, but Um, That was one thing that they did quite well, which was the the development of the youth academy and and things like that, which um, I really hope that we see continued by Ojun.
0: Yeah, and look, that's a pretty pretty valid point, mate, because if you look at the teams that have bounced out of the Premier League in the last 10 or 15 years, it's only the ones that have really got a reasonable academy or or youth set up that don't bounce down the divisions further like we did um, you know, you think of like, it might be boring, but even Reading, you know, where a Premier League club got relegated, they haven't bounced all the way down divisions because they've still got a very good underpinned source of young players. And it yeah, doesn't mean it, they're going to bounce back quick, but it means that they're always thereabouts. Yeah,
1: Q- QPR's we, another one. QPR who sold, sold a couple of players. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. And, and we know as well that realistically, with the capacity of the ground we've got and the size of the city... We are, realistically, we're a championship club who every now and then should bounce into the Premiership if we, we get it right. But yeah. we, we know we're too big for League One and League Two, but realistically, we're not a 45,000-seat stadium in the Prem, so we're not going to end up in there forever, but we need to have a very solid championship base and those clubs that are all really solid in the championship have a youth set-up that's second to none
1: that's right that's right well it was a a bit of a tangent to start the podcast with but we'll jump into the games now we'll we'll probably circle back around to some of this off-field discussion a bit later on after the the games themselves but look I, i sat here last week with dan looking ahead to second and third on the table in bournemouth and blackburn and thought we i think we both sort of said it's uh looking like a couple of losses probably two nil losses um you know we hadn't scored for a couple of games other than that evident game um, we weren't in, in fantastic form. Um, and, you know, what, what a difference a takeover makes to the, the form and to the uh, motivation and the, um, I don't know, the, the excitement of the players and everything that goes with it. Because, um, first of all, that Blackburn game coming away, away with a 2-0 win with ajun announced on the pitch just before the game, which would have been a real lift for the players and, and the supporters. Um, 14,000, I think, in the stadium as well for that game. So um, a really exciting fixture, that one.
0: Yeah, look, the timing on the announcement was pretty well perfect to pump everyone up and pump everything along. But it it was, made, like you said, it wasn't one that anyone would have expected us to win. Um, But more importantly, it wasn't anyone that wouldn't have been out there that would have expected us to probably keep a clean sheet. Um, And although we know we've defensively seen real signs of improvement lately, um, you know, the facts don't lie that we were, you know, a double digit in the negative... Goal difference side And and they're probably the most Well I don't know what they are now But they, they would have had close to the best goal difference In the comp So for me the fact that we won And obviously those guys coming off Pretty decent Couple of months as far as form goes um, The fact that we kept a clean sheet Was even better That actually shows me that when we have to We can match it with the top half
1: Yeah yeah, that's right. Um, I think we got a little bit fortunate, um, potentially a penalty on Brereton Diaz from Bernard coming in on the side. How did you view that one? Um, oh, look, you have to admit,
0: I think pretty much in the heat of the speed of the game, you would give it. Yeah. But I think sometimes maybe, hey, look. Maybe the one thing that was good was we're at home, there's a big buzz and a big announcement and the referee wasn't going to spoil the party. (laughs) So we'll take it. For for once, we'll take it because I think we should have had, I think in the last three or four games, we should have had at least two ourselves.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, I think live I was the same. I thought it it looked a penalty live. Replays I was a bit less sure about. It looked like you kind of caught him in the side. Other replays, I was also unsure about. It's one of those ones I reckon VAR would have spent ages on, and then probably still made the wrong decision. So um, can't get too can't get too upset with a bit of fortune there. Yeah. And then, of course, the second goal as well was was probably the more blatantly um, favourable decision, where McLaughlin just blocks the keeper off, eaves with a, a nice easy header into the back of the net. Those you see given every day. So I don't I don't know how that one got missed, but that was certainly fortuitous as well. And look, it could be that.
0: Again, same sort of thing. Bit of euphoria around us. Um, the referee, I don't know his name, but we want to get him again.
1: <laughs> that's right, that's right. And after all of the um, chaos of Boxing Day and Blackburn fans getting a bit stirred up about the postponed fixture, um, I think it probably just put extra salt in the wounds for them as well, which uh, is always a bit of fun. Yeah,
0: look, they they wouldn't have been impressed, mate, both
1: with the ref and the fact that everything seemed to go our way and, and
0: nothing seemed to
1: go theirs. Yeah, that's right. Um, Well, before we move on to that Bournemouth game, um, I'll give my MVP votes for the game and then I'll grab yours as well, Brad. Um, So I've gone ease for the three votes. I actually thought he kind of carried on his form from the Everton game. I mean, I know everyone had pretty poor games against Stoke, so I've sort of discounted that one, but he certainly is one. And I think there was an article on the website from him as well, where he's made it pretty clear that he wants to fight for his spot. He's one of those ones who would, clearly feel themselves on the periphery now that there's a new owner there's new investment we've we've got news of strikers coming in at the moment he's one fighting for his spot and the performance that he's put in against first everton and then again against blackburn uh you can't fault him for it i mean his hold-up play the way he was bringing players into the game kept it off with a yeah lucky goal like we're saying but he was in the right spot to, to score the goals so um, he was probably my man of the match. Um, I know some others would have probably given it to a few of the other players. Um, McLaughlin got my two votes. So I thought he was a standout as well. Um, really strong defensively. Yet again, um, he's really put in some quality performances since he's come into the side. Um, and Honeyman for the one vote um, was my other my other player opening the scoring for us. Um, you know, sort of sort of setting everything into motion in, on the eighth minute as well. So um, got him in the votes as well. But how did you say it?
0: I look pretty similar. I think you could raffle a couple off for the three. I probably would have given it to McLaughlin because I think that although Eves did pop up at the right time and seemed to have a real hunger for the spot, I thought McLaughlin was just a rock. Yeah. And really set the scene, I think, that maybe... We could have played. I think it almost felt to me like we were playing five yards further up the pitch all night, and that's because we were so sure of the way we were at the back. Um, I would have given Honeyman two, but that's more because I give him votes all the time. And I just think that every time he plays that little holding, you know, around the just behind the strikers type role, he just you know, even not so much his passing, but the way he stands on the ball, the way we seem to just move around him, it's its just so noticeable when he's on song that we're on song. Um, but, oh, look, I'd, I'd give Eve the one. I think Eves, the guy popped up, he did the right things at the right time. That's all you can ask, really.
1: Absolutely. Um, I think it was – I could be wrong. I think it was Longman who got both of the assists for the girls as well. So another terrific game for him. And going on to the Bournemouth game um, – managed to grab us the winner in that game as well. So he's another who is, he, he, seems to, he seems to be in quite streaky form. I think he went on that sort of run in November when we were winning games where he was scoring or assisting most games. And he seems to be doing it again now on this new run of form, getting the uh, the equaliser in the Everton game, getting a couple of assists in the Blackburn game, and then the winner in the Bournemouth game as well. Um uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit later on about McCann's place at the club now, but it's hard not to have looked at these two games and seen a manager transformed with the new owners at the club. He seemed he seems a lot more relaxed and, and, and sort of um, comfortable in the role now. And I thought his comments after this game sort of summed that up when he was asked about the possession stats and saying how Bournemouth had all of the ball. And he's just, his response was just, you know, well, then they can take the ball home and I'll take the three points home. Um, and yeah. you just think that sort of... That, that sort of wit, we haven't seen that sort of one-liner from him at all during his tenure at the club. And it's it's a bit of a shame, potentially, a bit of a shame to, um, to, to see him depart the club after these two games. But um, at the same time, two wins is a pretty good way to go out. But, uh, yeah, look, just a, a typical sort of smash and grab performance, this one. Look, it was. And, I mean,
0: the first half, I, I think, look, th- they were good. I think we actually flattered them. I think we didn't press up the pitch high enough. I think we made them look like they had the ball a lot more than they needed to. I know certainly, like, you know, with McCann's comments there about having the ball and we'll take the points is pretty valid, but we shouldn't let them have the ball because they had so much time on the ball in that first half. I actually think what happened was, mate, I think they went in at half-time. This is Bournemouth thinking, oh, we're actually doing this pretty easy. The goals will come. And, of course, in the second half, whether McCann's given the rocket or just really... Said, "Hey, listen to this. You guys have got to press or whatever." But again, it's the same as the Blackburn game. We seem to give them no real space on the ball. And in the Bournemouth game, it was definitely a tale of two halves. The first half we let them run around with it, yeah. But in the second half we really pressed. I think that's why the goal came. I think the fact that when you when you look at the way we were pressing that little bit in that sort of middle third middle of the second half, there, the fact that Longman. Was, was sort of getting in and about there was a bit of there was a bit of movement going on that we didn't see in the first half and i think it was because we took the space away maybe McCann's feeling more relaxed because he's starting to actually work it out <laughs> uh, you no know, i mean in, trip, all honesty, yeah, yeah. in league one in league one let's face it we had the best squad in the comp and these players go out knowing they're the best in the, in the comp and they they behaved and acted like it and did the job when you get promoted and we haven't got the best comp team in the comp and it's naturally not going to happen, that's where I believe that technical press and everything that maybe McGann's only been rooting. Well, it's apparent to me, mate, that something's happened about eight or nine games ago when we moved to that back three and that more attacking five. And we were playing 4-4-2. Then we were playing with a deep midfield and playing almost a pseudo 4-3-3. We're mucking around with it, but this has got to be about the seventh or eighth game in a row now where we've played the back three, and we've played that more advanced midfield, and therefore the teams that are good enough to break us are, but most of the teams find it hard to break us down. Yeah, I and think on the it's, counter we've got the quality.
1: Yeah, is it is it six six wins, two draws, something like some seven wins, two draws in in the last twelve or something like that. It's a remarkable turnaround to moved to that back three, as you say. Um, uh, basically playing like a three-four-three or a three-five-two sort of system, um, dependent on the on the team. But you know, your comment about the Bournemouth players, I think a Bournemouth player actually came out and said pretty much that that they went in at half time expecting that they'd come out second half and just roll over us because they 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 clearly just thought you know they're applying all the pressure and that finally something's going to give and they'll get through us. Um, and as you say, we've clearly come out the second half with our sort of you know fangs bared so to speak, and we've really gone at them. Um, I think we had one shot in the first half right at the end of the half and then and then got right back into it started the second half and really put the foot on um foot on the gas um and and looked a much better side for it um and and as you say i think this coupled with the backbone game really shows that we should basically uh, fulham aside maybe fulham are just sort of demolishing everyone but you know fulham aside there's no one we have played second and third now there's no one in the division that we should really fear.
0: No, there's, there's not, and especially if you're convinced that the system and the way you're pressing is, is the way you should play. I mean, the one thing, like you just mentioned there, something I heard you say something about the fact I don't think we had a shot in the first half. It, it it was almost like we needed to be able to let our hair down a bit in the second half and have a crack at taking the space away from them, so then we could, we could get, like, like we'd find the holes. In the first half, we didn't look like we were trying to press or find holes anywhere. Um, In the second half, uh, look, no doubt in the second half, Bournemouth probably had more shots in the second half than they did in the first. But when they're taking them from where they were, the risk is obviously a lot less. But all of a sudden, they were opening up. And the passage of play before we scored our goal, probably 10, 15 minutes before we scored ours, Bournemouth could have had two easy. I think they made a couple of subs and they they looked like they had us just in that patch. But that's because at the same time as they were really attacking us, they started to open up and we just walked straight through effectively.
1: That's right. That's right. Um, Yeah, solid game all round again. Um, I'll kick off with your MVP votes for this one before we move on to the off-field discussion.
0: Um, I think I will, well, look. We'll give Longman the three because he scored. Um, but I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm going to give, I'm going to give McLaughlin two. And I look, no one will probably say he had an exciting game, but I think one of the differences in the second half was the fact that Longman and Williams both really moved um, up the park a lot further. And I'm not saying for a minute that. Williams set the game on fire, but I've got no doubt that the way he pressed up the pitch, the same as Longman did, meant that their fullbacks were under pressure, which means our strikers and Honeyman started getting more of the ball. But more importantly, I think it made our back three look better. And again, that's why we didn't concede. So I'll sneak Williams in for a little vote, more as a gesture.
1: Yeah. I, I'm I'm going to be really curious to see what happens with players like Williams. Like, you know, you've got Moncur Cannon, well, basically, a lot of the players that we signed this, this summer um, um, who weren't the lone es, so to speak, so we've got Williams, Monker, Cannon, um, a couple of others as well, but I'm going to be really curious to see what happens to them once the takeover goes through because uh, maybe fortuitously if McCann's leaving the club, it then provides them with a new club to go along to since we know that McCann likes to pick up his old players um, at his next destination. But, yeah, look, I, thought, I think Williams has had a terrific month for us. It's probably the best month of football that he's played for us since he's been here, I don't think he's really had much opportunity to play before now. But uh, yeah, no, I thought he was. That's a good shout for the one vote there. Um, yeah, it was more I, just I,
0: the structure. I actually yeah. think he, he probably would say that's not the best game he played. But clearly, I thought something's happened where he's been told, "Listen, pin your ears back and have a crack," and he he would have covered some miles.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and his pace off the bench is always um, is always a weapon, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll agree on Longman for the three votes. Um, I think he's he's playing some great football at the moment um, and it was a really well-taken goal to seal the three points for us. Um, I've actually changed last minute. I was going to give Eves votes in this, but um, I'll actually go with Baxter, I think. Um, he's sort of been oh, a bit yeah. bit of an um, unsung hero, I guess, of the last couple of games. He, he looked really shaky in the Stoke game um, and it was a bit concerning to see how he um, was sort of failing to command his area as well as he has in the past. Um, And I think he's really come back into form um, these last two games, keeping two clean sheets against Bournemouth and Blackburn. So I'll I'll sneak him in for the two votes here. And then McLaughlin, uh, just in the votes every week, um, is just leading that defence. So we sort of talk about the fact that we're looking to, well, some of us would like to see an experienced centre-back recruited to sit in that back three. Um, But McLaughlin's pretty much putting his hand up as that experienced head back there. So um, another terrific display from him. Um, All right. Well, there's a bit of off-field news to discuss. Um, As of the recording of this episode Tuesday afternoon in Australia, so Tuesday morning in the UK, we haven't had official news yet, but there are newspapers deciding to sort of run with the story um, as if it is official that McCann is leaving the club to be replaced by um, Shota Avalads who um, has been linked for quite a while. So I think this was sort of an in- inevitable change down the line. Um, we sort of said on our takeover special last week that I, I, I guess ajun would have really loved, to some extent, uh, you know, a 4-0 or a 5-0 Bournemouth win to make it a really easy decision to sack McCann and, and make it a non-controversial one. But um, unfortunately, depending on your perspective, uh, we did get the three points. So it does make it a bit more... Um, controversial with the supporters and the players. I mean, I think Honeyman came out after the Blackburn game and basically said that he, if he could give um, Ajoun a message, it would be to keep McCann at the club. Um, what, what, what's your feeling of it? Because, of course, there's been a few times through his tenure where McCann very easily could have been sacked and no one would have batted an eye. But it's just a bit touch of irony that it's coming at this point.
0: Doesn't it ever? Um <laughs> Here we are sort of probably thinking that this is a decision that could have been made a long time ago or even when we got relegated. Um, Yeah. I think probably the thing that most of us have sort of agreed on at some stage is that McCann, with the right League One budget, is a good League One manager. And It's not that he won the title, that's great. It was more the fact that from the minute we went down to League One, he looked like a guy in control. And from the minute he took us over, he looked dishevelled. He looked like he was fighting the relegation battle himself. And he's never looked confident enough to say, hey, guess what? We're a top half championship side. And also, I suppose, with that has come his player signings have actually been reasonable. But is there anyone that we're saying that we've signed recently who's a real chance to be the top half championship, bottom half premier player? And it may be that the thinking behind it is, well, with McCann not being there, and, well, and and, and Shota coming in with a nice, healthy history and uh, war chest of possible transfer options from all over the world, that, that then becomes more about not so much what the manager does on match day, but what the manager brings to the club. And yeah. I think that might be part of the problem of why McGann mm-hmm. is looking like like a, a consistently boring manager, if you like, versus yeah. what will be the, the highlight of an owner who can bring in a manager that could potentially bring in superstars.
1: Well, I didn't even realise that I think Shota speaks something like uh, six or seven languages. So even just from that perspective, having a manager who, if we are to bring in our Iranian superstar and if we're going to bring in players from Turkey and um, things like that, having a manager who can actually speak these languages could be quite handy. So I, I hadn't actually realised that about him, that he was so um, multilingual. So um, even just from that perspective, having a, a more internationally focused manager may well be um, quite an advantage to have. Um, uh, and also I think I, I think I saw the stat, I think he'll be the first Georgian to manage in England, which is quite remarkable oh, really? in itself. Yeah. So... Well.
0: We we like to see that we like to see new right. records records broken, but on on the player side of it, it may be a really valid point. But I mean, like you're sort of saying, the fact that he speaks multi languages, we know that from his history, he's obviously a celebrated manager. Otherwise, he doesn't even become a rumour of of sorts, if you like. Um, but I do I don't mind the fact that there's a chance there that. He could be someone that really takes us up because, like we're saying by our own admission, when nothing's certain, but we, if we finished, let's say we finished in a playoff space this year, most people would say, most people would say, McCann is not the manager if we get promoted. Yeah. And I always like the fact that every time we got promoted, except for Phil Brown, we've, we've looked like we've had a manager that runs the club. Brucey came in, brought his players, brought his—I well, won't say his technical genius, but his man management skills—and we well, got promoted. It's, it's,
1: it's not technical genius to put four strikers on when we're chasing a game. Oh, I think, really ambitious. <laughs> yeah, well, was a yeah, four? off nah. thought it was five. Um, <laughs> and like, Harry Maguire, yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. But you—you you look at it. I mean, even—even even the the shock of Brucey not coming up with us, yeah, um, and and not being able to um manages that first year in the premiership When we had that famous photo um, That was all a shock Because Bruce is a premiership manager And if, if the end game here is, is To try and get into the championship Long term and look at promotion Is McCann the one that's going to take us To premiership status The argument is probably not Then again though it gets back to what we are saying About off field If you don't have the right management skills running the club, then what do we end up with? We end up with a new manager who buys heaps of players. We get possibly promoted in two years' time with a bottom of the championship with a huge wage bill. Yeah,
1: that, so, yeah. I think
0: they go hand in hand. But, I mean, the odds, I would think, are a new owner is going to want his man.
1: Yes. My, well, my concern is that it is literally his man in the sense that they are good friends. And my only concern there is... Um I, I kind of cast my mind. Everyone looks at it and says, oh, it's the unknown foreign manager. Well, Pochettino was an unknown foreign manager and look what he did at Southampton. And I, I think, yep. sure. But also you look at Leonard Slutsky coming to Hull and granted he wasn't as much of an unknown manager, but he really struggled and was gone within six months. And my worry is that if um, Shoda similarly struggles, will Ajun have the uh, motivation to sack a friend? because um, they are yeah. reportedly good friends so that's my big concern um, about the whole situation but look you know it, it, it's worth giving him the shot um, if it's going to bring in a higher caliber of players as well i think that's really good um i think i think your comment there about you know if we were to make the playoffs this season or anything like that i think I think for me even if we were to go on a Eight, 10 ten-game winning run from here and start to look at a chance at the playoffs, I'd actually say, no, thank you. You know, give me a top-half finish. Absolutely. Give me a solid, yep. solid platform, players confident about what the manager can bring for next season. Player recruitment for the summer makes it a lot easier to say, look at the, the journey that we're on, come along for the ride and consolidate, grow, and then launch it for next season. Because I think, as you, as you say, and it's spot on, you don't want to go up kind of go, we've got to strip out half the squad to turn over for, to face the Premier League, get belted every week, come back down with a huge wage bill. Um, you don't want to go up. There is such a thing as going up too soon, I think.
0: Oh, look, and there's also the change factor. I mean, when you go back in time and look at all of our managers over time, how many times has it actually worked? Mm. I mean, I still remember, I'm going to show my age here, but I still remember when Phil Parkinson came in And this guy's record was extraordinary at a small club. And yet, pretty much from the first minute he got to the club, he looked like he was either overwhelmed, under pressure, and, of course, he was terrible. And I think what happens is you you get sort of a bit carried away with having to make a change for the sake of it. And, again, going back to that era, you know, Phil Brown taking over was a guy that had learned a bit of craft at a pretty big club and sat in the in the, um, in the shadows a bit. Not that he did when he was manager, that's for sure. It the town salon, I think. But the key thing was, is that it was a guy who sort of got there because of his own craft and, and gritty determinants, if you like. Yeah. Whereas with this guy, we're really going by total discussion around a you know, family friend mm-hmm. who's managed some decent clubs, decent-sized clubs, but nothing to the point of saying, well, this guy's got... Immense technical de- genius, or you know, he's he's not running something like you know, uh, IX Youth Academy or something. You know, I know yeah, his pedigree right. is not bad, but this is not this is not a top thirty manager worldwide, I believe. And I think if you're really going to buy a club and turn it upside down with managerial staff, it's where you bring in someone who is a top thirty manager
1: in Europe. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I think I was sort of talking in our chat today about exactly that and my reluctance to see McCann sacked is almost as much about McCann going as who's coming in and that I think if it was a, call it a Chris Euden or a, a Daniel Farker or, or a, you know, who it was it was that guy sacked by Newcastle, Mr, Mr. Steve Bruce? If it was one of those sorts of guys coming in, you know, out of work English, not English managers per se, but managers who have experience in England, I think I'd feel much more relaxed about the managerial change, but I think because it's such an unknown manager, unless he, he, and he may well be able to hit the ground running, in which case this is completely irrelevant, but if it's going to take him a month or six weeks to bet in with the squad, we're not far enough away from the relegation zone, I don't think, that we can afford a five-, six-game patch of struggling to put any sorts of results together. I, I don't think. So That that that's probably my biggest concern, but... Um, look, I think that Stoke game, for instance, showed, and you look at the responses after that Stoke game, I think it showed that McCann was a dead man walking regardless because, yes, he was one or two good results away from everyone saying, oh, we love him, let's keep him. But he was only one or two bad results away from everyone saying, yeah, he's hopeless, right. he doesn't know anything, he needs to go. So I think it's the right call ultimately. And I guess we'll see what happens with um Shona. Yeah, it, it,
0: um, that's right. And It might even be the timing. You know, it may even be, I know, obviously both the media and the rumour files will want changes quick, but it, it may be just beneficial for the club, and this is where we get back to the whole reason why whether the owner will be good or not, is if you were buying Hull City today, I don't know whether you would be changing the manager as your first priority. Considering where we are and what we've got ahead, unless you had, like you said, someone who's got real pedigree, and I mean, you remember looking at, It's drawing a long bow, but, you know, Sam Allardyce used to get jobs basically to try and rescue clubs from getting relegated. Um, And he was reasonably good at it, or maybe not paper, but he was reasonably good at getting clubs out of those situations or, or thereabouts. At the moment, do you want a new manager, a new foreign manager who could bring in all sorts of new players? Or do you want some stability and a manager who's got the players he wants to try and grind his way out? at the yeah. moment he has been doing
1: the job yeah that's right that's right um oh and, and look and speaking of i mean we can talk a bit quick about quickly about transfers now before we move on to the um to the next game but um regan Slater reportedly has signed trained with the teammates yesterday presumably is going to be announced today Fifty thousand pounds seems pretty light on for him which seems a pretty no-brainer signing um interesting i guess because he would have presumably come to the club because of McCann and his influence with him last season. Um, Seems presumably still happy to sign for the club, knowing that McCann's departing. Um, Seems a pretty good signing.
0: I think so, absolutely. Um, You know, played a decent decent stint of games. Um, Sure, be it in a different division, but looked quality and for that sort of price tag. I mean, even, even if you're taking him as a real... Progressive, three to five year backup player, very solid.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think like last season, he displaced Smallwood from the side towards the end of the season. So you think if he's here as a depth or a rotation option for Smallwood, um, that's going to be a step up from I mean Matt Smith from Man City or, or Huddleston, I guess is the other one that stepped in a bit for, for Smallwood. He um, has a bit more diverse, um, a bit more range to his game. I guess I'd say.
0: Yeah, Yep. I think it's a really good piece of business for 50 grand.
1: That's right. Um, The other one that looks certain to happen or reasonably certain to happen is, and I'm going to try and pronounce his name um, as correctly as I can, Alaya Syed Manesh, um, who is uh, the 20-year-old Iranian striker. Uh, Apparently, he's not going to go out on international duty this week because he's going to be focused on coming to England and, and signing on with us, which sounds pretty exciting. Scored in the Europa League last season against Leicester, so he has a bit of pedigree with his goal-scoring exploits. Um, seems he, he's sort of the, you know, he, he's sort of the um, the type of player that I'd be liking to see us take a gamble on. I'd rather see us gambling and it's, you know, sounding like it's a fee of, um, I think I've got it here somewhere. I think it's like five million euros. So it's it's a substantial fee. I think that will make him our record, just about our record championship signing. Um, but I'm happier to see that done on a 20-year-old with decent pedigree than some of the other players that we've been linked with who are, you know, um, Pesic, I think, was the one that just fell through. He's 29. Ryan Babble, um, who's 35. I'd rather say this is the right end of the age bracket, I think, for these sorts of signings.
0: Yeah, I totally agree, mate. I mean, anyone, uh, if you're looking at that sort of 19 to 22-year-old, you're hoping that you've got the next mo coming along without having to pay a fortune for him and i think realistically what happens this guy's obviously good enough that fenerbahce have given him a long-term contract before and um the fact that you know you're paying five million for a striker these days is pretty well chicken feed really um at 20 so why wouldn't you have a crack i'd be more worried like you said if we were signing older players who aren't really suited to this league um and and that probably you know like even with with passage i know no not that old they're still under 30 but still the fact is is that you've got to come and get used to a new club and all these sorts of things, whereas I think the young guys are so hungry to prove something. And like yeah. you said, if he's not going on international duty, it's probably because the owner's told him, when you sign for us, you're playing and you're in and this is how it's going to be.
1: He's just gearing himself up, ready to go. That hunger will be huge. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and look, you know, it's it's all presumably it's part of the strategy. I mean, um, Azun sort of spreading the word about us in Turkey, getting an increased fan base over in Turkey bringing in a star young Iranian striker to the championship is going to increase interest over in Iran. Um, I'm automatically already saying, well, you know, Iran's in the other qualifying group for the World Cup to Australia, but if we were to play off with them in the third place playoff, suddenly that's a player for me to look out for. Um, It's all, I reckon it's all part of this sort of um, ambition of making Hull a much, or Hull City, a much more international club and bringing in that international focus. So, I think there's a clear strategy in the sorts of players that we're, we're seemingly targeting.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And look, that, that hopefully mimics what we're talking about with ambition and where the club should be. Um, and in most cases, I think if you've got someone who... You know, look, we, we shouldn't be paying any money for anyone that we don't think is walking in and improving our top three or four players.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so that's why I think, especially, you know, when you were just talking a minute ago... Um, about Slater, for 50 grand as a backup, pretty small price to pay, you just move on. That That's good. But if you're going to spend good dollars, we should be only buying players who are going to be changing the top, like I said, three or five players in the squad and then gradually weeding the worst three or five players out.
1: Yeah, exactly right. And that's, and that's how it should be rather than sort of substantial overhauls every summer. It should be you top up, you, you know, you get – a new best three or four players in and you you get your worst three or four players out and you just gradually improve that way. That's right. All right. Uh, Well, let's move on. We'll do the uh, triple flashback feature before we do the preview. Um, We'll just go through this one reasonably quickly, just on the theme of new managers with Shota having his first game against Swansea this weekend. Brad, I wanted to see if you could name for me the last three whole city managers who have won their first game in charge.
0: Um. they're all reasonably oh. recent, so they shouldn't. Are they are uh, okay. Um, I suppose this is not the way you want. it. Did McCann
1: win his first? No. So, well, no. it was actually it was interesting though because, and I was saying to Dan today, it's interesting we've had I think three managers have their first game against Swansea. So I think oh, McCann, right. uh, McCann showed up presumably, and also Nigel Pearson all had their first games against Swansea, but no, McCann, McCann didn't win his first.
0: Okay, well, I'm, I know one that did, and that was Mike feeling because that was the Leicester game. I yeah. you know, technically he, he did he managed a couple of games before then,
1: didn't he? Yeah, well, well, because I guess because yeah, I guess the question I should have said is permanent managers, and so I guess he was technically not the permanent manager then. Okay. So I haven't I haven't counted him.
0: Right. Well, I, I think you should
1: because I think it's the best we've ever had. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm fair shout. I'm
0: going guess that uh, Marco Silva.
1: Yep. Won his first game against Bournemouth 3-1. Uh, like the 20th There's 20th one more 20th. recent than Silva and one oh, uh, further back than Silva. Uh, oh, okay. Adkins. Yeah, bingo. Yeah, yeah. So he won his first game against Brentford. Um 3-2 okay. I think it was, yeah. So that's two of the it's three.
0: Before and it wasn't Brucie? It was. All oh, right, there. You go. There you go. Yeah, won his Brucie first
1: game 1-0 Pearson 1-0. Yeah, what 1-0 against Brighton. Yeah, I was I was oh. thinking I might have um misled you by bringing up the Pearson stat against Swansea because we won that one 2-0 <laughs> as well, but no, it was yeah, Bruce, Bruce Silver and Adkins are at the last three permanent managers to win their first game, which, I mean, it's kind of... Bruce, is, Bruce seems a while ago that, we, you know, I guess we've had, what, Slutsky uh, and McCann as well, I guess, and Phelan. But, I, I mean, Phelan's first uh, permanent game in charge was at Bournemouth, disaster, the 6-1, I think. So it yeah. wasn't yeah. a great one there. Um, but, yeah, speaking of Swansea, it is the third game for a new manager to play. Um, to face Swansea as their first game and what we had the, the loss from McCann and the win for Pearson. So hopefully we can make it two wins out of the three, um, nil, nil draw last time we played them. Um, they've only got one win in their last five games. So they're not in tremendous form at the moment. And I think if we beat them, we do finally go above them. We've been 19th for what feels like forever. Um, but we can go above them with a win. Um, We've, we've just probably just said with the Bournemouth and Blackburn games, you know, we should be feeling like we can beat anyone going into this one. Um, and really, three points should be completely on offer.
0: Look, definitely. And I think I was vaguely when you were just talking about Swansea, I was trying to picture what we were talking about the last time we played them. I remember thinking something back towards the point that they're a club that's reasonably comparable with us. As far as size and and, well, basically I just feel like they are our competition, if you like, team that probably shouldn't be in the premiership all the time, but um, with the size of ground and I suppose probably a bigger city, so that's different. But the one thing that I do pretty much think that we're a real chance on or I hope we're a real chance on is um, the fact that our form at the moment isn't a fluke. And again, especially the um, the Bournemouth game, to be, ru- I shouldn't say rubbish, we weren't rubbish, but to be half-baked for a half of football and then in the second half turn around enough to be the team that's going all right shows that more than even just the result, if you like. And I think as well, if you yeah. start looking at where, like you said, I mean, Swansea's not necessarily setting the world on fire with their form, God, but this is a team that is pretty much our, our test now to say, well, if we really believe we're not in the bottom six or seven, we have to beat these guys because I think they are. Yeah. I don't think they're going to get relegated. I don't think they're a bottom two or three, but I think they are a bottom five, six or seven spot. So really that's where we've got to push them. And if we can't get over them, I don't know whether McCann is safe anyway because I think if you're an owner of this club, like you just said at the start, Alex, you beat them this week, you leapfrog them. But if you don't, then you're still in that bottom six or seven.
1: Yeah, that's right. And it was it was when we went on that winning run of four games and we went from being in the relegation spots to being sort of reasonably safe. And we started to look up the table and every game that we played, we played Forest and we went 1-0 up there and we were looking and saying, well, now we're only four points off the top half. And, and of course, then we go and lose at Forest 2-1. Um, we've sort of lost that ground where we were sort of pulling away from the relegation pack and into that mid-table pack. And I feel like we're finally back into that with the back-to-back wins. And as you say, I mean, yeah, as I said, with the game against Swansea, if we beat them and we can go above them, it does finally pull us into that next bracket of teams. And you've got your Prestons, your Swansees, things like that, where even up to Sheffield United, really, um, teams that are all... In touching distance, and and I think if we can start to get to that position where we start to look towards mid-table safety, um, and as I said earlier, you know, not necessarily saying oh, we should be trying to push on for top six. I think if we finish top half this season, that's a tremendous season back in the championship where we can then consolidate from and, and launch for next season. Absolutely. Look,
0: the number one key to start of the year was don't go down. Yeah. So if we can do that, that's awesome. The, the one good thing as well, which probably I suppose it's easy to get carried away because, yep, we've had another win and game that no one expected us to win and a clean sheet and all these sorts of things, and that's great. But the one thing I sort of take into account is um, just looking at the way that other teams around us have performed. Like, you know, obviously we beat Blackburn. That was a great result. None of us would have expected that result for, for a starting point. But the other thing as well is just looking at what, is going around us you know from a match day perspective we've got games where we're winning ones that we shouldn't but more importantly we're actually doing against sometimes against teams that are pretty good i mean i don't know if you saw but blackburn beat middlesbrough
1: yeah no, i saw that this Uh, morning
0: and talking to a middlesbrough supporter he said i still don't know how he said we had more of the ball but they were just so well organized and so so good with the way they attacked. They didn't need the ball half the time. They were just stringing a couple of passes together and shooting goal.
1: So yeah. I mean, I know I know
0: it was only one
1: nil or
0: money um, was one nil. Was it? One nil one this nil. morning,
1: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But but he said we yeah. had more more of the ball. We looked like we were you know going fine. He said, but he said they're a bloody good side. And you think, well, hang on a minute. It was only a week or so ago we beat them two nil.
1: That's right. Yeah. And
0: so really that's why I think these games, against, like Swansea, are so vital. We can't afford not to win or at least take a point, I hate to say it, because we are better than where we think they are.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think it's to some extent it's easier to get up for games against the top teams because you know what they're going to bring and you know that you have to rise, raise your level of game. It's sometimes harder to play the teams around you because almost as we were saying with the Bournemouth players where you think, well, we're going to win, we're going to get the points, and your performance sort of drops off a level because you don't have that sort of backs-to-the-wall mentality. Um, if we go into that game against Swansea just thinking, well, hang on, we've just knocked off second and third, we'll get the three points easily, um, you get a game like we've got against Stoke. So it's, it's, it's a different sort of tricky, I think, to those games that we've had, and um, but, but no less important to get the win.
0: Yeah, and I think you might be onto something, mate. The fact that you, you're really up for it because it's a top team, you've got nothing to lose that maybe from a coaching or, or a tactical perspective, you, you go through a few more things that are a bit more focused on the opposition, whereas when you play ones and you might be more focused on yourselves. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, but I I, th- I sort of feel like this is where you get real momentum when you win the games that you shouldn't, but then you back it up with the ones that you should.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Any changes that you'd make to the side, or are you just happy to roll with the same 11 that's performed so well?
0: <laughs> yeah, look, I... I I wouldn't want to make any changes. The only concern, obviously, you start thinking about is well, just where, you know, where where these guys are at from a from a fatigue level. Um, I don't think the schedule's probably been. Oh, look, I think probably the Stoke game, if anything, was. The one that we had no excuses on because we'd had everyone that had the week off. we played the Everton game. I know that was a big night and all those sorts of things, but I just feel like maybe you know you're looking at what's that three games in a week um, yeah. or thereabouts. I, w- I would like to think that you could at least start with that eleven for the forty-five minutes and put on the show. That would be ideal, but I think you might. Depending on whether anyone's carrying anything, I think the legs might be starting to get a bit tight. especially the way against Bournemouth the fullbacks were moving. We haven't had that for a long time. They were clearly... The, the game plan changed at halftime, clearly. And the way those guys were running, I, I'd be interested to see if they could do that again on Saturday.
1: And the great thing is now I guess we've got Slater coming in who can provide an option in midfield for someone like a small who might not have the legs to go on with it um, this weekend. Um, so are, are you confident in a win? Um, score prediction for this one? Mate, you know 2-0, 3-0 for City, potentially?
0: Oh, look, I'd love to say so, but I'd be happy with 1-0. 1-0, yeah.
1: I really
0: would. I, I don't... Um, it's, it's always the way when you start looking at results, you start thinking, oh, well, I know Swansea have leaked goals. Well, so did we a couple of... <laughs> a
1: yeah, yeah. ...a few
0: games back, so... I'd be quite happy with a a 1-0. I would love a clean sheet again because I really think three clean sheets on the bounce would be fantastic.
1: Yeah, no, it certainly would be. It'd be good to get another clean sheet on the board. Uh, Another three points in the bag as well. But, uh, look, thank you for joining me for this one, Brad.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: No problem at all. And thanks, everyone, for listening in to this episode. We'll be back same time next week for another episode of the Tigers Down Under. But until then, come on, City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast, The Tigers Down Under. For more discussion, join us on Facebook at the Hull City AFC Australia Facebook group or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black.
0: Yeah, the city's on fire We're going higher and higher There's no turning back